listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So Jeff, I, I feel like we've been talking about selling and sales and cross-selling and sales compensation and sales tech and rev tech and where sales is going and where sales has been. But despite all of that, I feel like it's kind of like I've been a little nebulous. Like there's times like I don't feel like it's super clear what I should do. So I'm hoping that our guest today can help us change that. I believe he will. So you want to introduce him? Sure. With us today is a friend of mine, Jeff Bishop, wildly talented sales guy. Welcome, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff and Jason. Great to be here. How about if you jump in and tell us a little bit about yourself, Jeff? Yeah, thank you. Delighted to. Thank you very much. Uh, as Jeff said, lifelong sales guy and just share a very quick story growing up. This is back in the day. My older brother and I, we used to have to go sell certain candy bars and things for the baseball team. And yeah. my brother and I walked down in kind of a classic middle income neighborhood. And I soon learned very quickly that we had these fourplex apartment houses, uh, buildings in the neighborhood. And I realized pretty soon that I could go into those four <laughs> four plexes and I could sell a whole lot of candy bars very, very quickly. And one of the reasons that I was able to do that was just kind of one of those crazy things of there was quite a few people that a little bit older than I was back in the day living in those. And some of the ladies would come out and say, oh, he's so cute. He has dimples. And I didn't even know what dimples were. I'd go <laughs> home and I'd say, mom, what are dimples? And of course, I found out what dimples were, but I soon realized that that was maybe an appealing thing to get people to buy something from me for whatever reason. But long story short, I realized I could quickly optimize my time in selling. And really, I've always been intrigued by that. How do you optimize your time in selling? And certainly, what are the factors that influence a sale? It's not just about dimples, but there's a whole lot more to it as part of that. So then when I got out of college, I went to work at IBM, a very strong technology background at IBM, 15 years, sales, sales management, strategic planning. And then I ran about a $12 million professional services business, which was back in the days of systems integrations, lands, WANs, and nobody's barely heard of those terms anymore. Things have changed in technology. And then for about the last 15 years, I've been on my own doing sales consulting, coaching, and training of some measure of some kind, working with a lot of small to medium-sized businesses. I also do work with the Baker Communications and the American Management Association to deliver some of their training and coaching and consulting and been working with a lot of the big tech firms as well, AWS, Amazon Business, Stripe, Dell, Lenovo, all types of those that I've been a part of. So feel very fortunate what I do. I enjoy what I do and I appreciate you guys having me on here. And I think that this is a very relevant topic because we see this oftentimes of it's hard to kind of, you know, the old adage of landing the plane. Oftentimes we're kind of, you know, businesses are kind of in the clouds on strategy theory how do we bring this down and make it rubber meets the road for the sales team and the sales leadership of achieving the objectives? You know what I take away from all that, Jeffrey? I just realizing it. I wish I had dimples <laughs> and I wish I had the ability to just walk into a building like that as, as, as a child because I have neither of those. So are you saying you're saying that sales guys are born, not made? <laughs> That's a, that's a very good, you know, that's always the old adage, right? It's the same thing about our leaders born or made, et cetera. A number of things. I think certainly there's many of us have a proclivity for just that engagement with the people, the whole fun of selling and, hey, 
will they buy this from me? It's always kind of fun to see, can I convince them to buy whatever I have? The flip side of that is there's many that, and if you go, if that's kind of the extroversion model. There's many introverts who do very, very well in sales because they're very thoughtful. They're very detailed. They're very th- diligent and prudent in their approach to customers or prospects as well. So old habits die hard, but you can always teach new tricks along the way as part of that. Well, what I liked about much of what you just said, I'm actually, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to some of the things we talked about in the setup. And we talked about this space between firm strategy and sales strategy. And we talked about this and you actually said this, Jeff, which I liked. You said, well, marketing is about demand gen and sales is sort of about making it happen. And so I think what we're hoping to lean into today is that it's like, you know, there's this fuzzy picture that firms seem to have of where they want to go. But then I think sometimes there's a disconnect between, you know, where they want to go and the actual plan to make it happen. And I want to get underneath that a little bit, just kind of pick your brain on what that looks like. Yeah, that's a great question and, and, and thought process. And I think one of the great bridges between, you know, kind of that higher level strategy into really down to earth tactics and, and executing the plan is the whole preparation process for salespeople and for the sales organization. Oftentimes, uh, I know we talked briefly about this before, uh, Jason, Jeff, about, you know, companies identify, hey, here's a certain account we want to go after. And then you say they just start calling in and let's let's go call on whoever it is, XYZ company, and let's see who we know there and see if we can get in and sell our product, if you will. So for most salespeople, they really don't want to take the time to prepare for sales calls and really do a deeper dive and a much more thorough analysis. And I think that's where organizations, I I think, are getting much smarter about incorporating some type of frameworks for the sales teams to how do I prepare? Most of them don't like to prepare. So it's incumbent upon the organization to give some type of framework to help them prepare for their sales objectives, for their sales territory, for their yearly plan, whatever it might be. And also it translates ultimately into some type of quarterly, monthly, weekly, daily plan as part of that. So it's incumbent upon the organization to develop that framework. And one of the things I know we've talked before about, certainly the Internet's changed things dramatically. And I'm sure you guys, I know you guys have talked about this on some of your previous podcasts, but the pandemic has just, has just created, you know, the wave that was coming in of virtual, which here we are, has just accelerated that process of being able to do much more work, certainly online and certainly having much more access to information. It's always been there, but I think the pandemic has really awakened and further accelerated, accentuated the process of people doing research. And with that, there's really no excuse, if you will, not to conduct that research, that preparation ahead of time. So it's all available. It's at our fingertips in terms of that information. And I can share some other things. There's some startling statistics about what businesses are doing now before they take sales calls. Maybe we can get into that a little bit as well. I would love to get into that. I, I was just thinking as you're talking, I had a I had a closing meeting last week with an engineering firm and walking into the room, I only knew two of the six people in the call that I'd met mm-hmm. in the, you know, initial build up to the, the the closing opportunity, if you will. And to your point, the other four people that I didn't know, I just obviously went to LinkedIn quickly and I learned what I could about them and I shared it with my team. So they knew kind of like who we're walking in the room with. So at least you had some sense of maybe where those people are coming from, just based on who they are, which, you know, it's easy to imagine a situation even 10 years ago where you wouldn't have had that yeah. visibility and it had that, that level of knowledge walking into that setting. So I, I would love to hear you talk about that. So it was, it was one way of answering it. 
Jason, it's such a great example. I mean, we've, we've all got these devices, right? That, you know, it's right at our fingertips. It's incredible what's at our fingertips. So to your point, I mean, you just even a short few years ago, you would not have been able to do that. And I'll just kind of go back on some history of LinkedIn. I'm, you guys know about LinkedIn, et cetera. And, you know, it, it came out, you know, it was in the early 90s. Again, I've, I've been a technology guy my whole life. It came out. This is pretty cool. And, you know, you know, we all know how, you know, technical people, technology people love the new shiny object. It's kind of, it's kind of a new shiny object, et cetera. And then, you know, LinkedIn evolved into really kind of a resume builder. And, you know, it's where people would go to, in essence, post a resume. And then, you know, just it's really been probably been the last roughly five to seven years where it kind of reached that tipping point of it is absolutely a B2B profile. It's really your own business website, if you will, as part of that. So, Everyone, just about everyone is now on LinkedIn in some shape or form. So as it's matured, one of the things back to kind of these startling statistics that's occurring is, and just what you did, Jason, you know, before you met someone, we all know we Google or we go to LinkedIn. It's just, you know, it's just like that. And studies show that over and over 90, whatever the statistics are now. And that's roughly 90%. Everybody searches for someone before they meet with someone. So what some of the top 50 companies are doing now is they are literally scoring and profiling your LinkedIn profiles such that before they will they will take a sales call from someone. So one of the things that I've spent a lot of time with is really educating and training and consulting people on their LinkedIn profiles. And, you know, we could go into great depth on it, but if you think about just as simply as, it's as simple as as soon as they click on that LinkedIn profile, what's the first thing they see? Your picture. Right. And we know a picture is worth a thousand words at first impression is very important. And then, you know, we can go on through the rest of the profile. That's probably for a whole nother podcast, if you will. But the point being, that's where everyone is going and companies are scoring your LinkedIn profile before they might even take a sales call from you because they're looking to see how much information they can find from you. And LinkedIn allows you to provide all types of great information. I have another a business associate. He bought into LinkedIn years ago and, and really just, I, I love this example of what he's done. I mean, how many times have somebody said to you, you know, you guys do your own work and others on the podcast and somebody says, well, give me some references. If you want anybody, we all relate to that, right? Hey, give me some references. You know, and what he began to do was he he had people beginning to put recommendations on his LinkedIn page. And they're very detailed. They're very personal. It's not just the skill, the the thumbs up of the skill, but a really thorough recommendation from some of his key clients. So what he will say to his clients or prospects is, hey, you know, here's my LinkedIn profile. Do me a favor. Just go to LinkedIn. Take a look at my references on there, those recommendations. And if you need any other recommendations from that point, let me know and I'll be glad to get those for you. And as he said, without fail, they've never come back to him asking for a reference as part of that because he's built his LinkedIn profile as a, in essence, his B2B own personal website per se as part of that. So, LinkedIn is a phenomenal tool to use. And I'll straight up, I'm still surprised at how many people have yet not really fully developed their profile, their whole personal image, if you will, brand on LinkedIn, because it's a tremendous tool to use as, as part of that. So so that's where it's going. It's it's just more and more. And here's, we know this is for another wave. And I'm sure you guys, we all know about artificial intelligence. More and more of that is occurring. And literally these firms I talked about who are looking at scoring those LinkedIn profiles before they accept sales calls are using artificial intelligence to score those 
profiles, if you will. So that's where a lot of that is moving. I mean, that's kind of out there for the top firms, but that's where it's moving towards in terms of that. So a little bit of, I, I may have digressed on some things there, but just wanted to share that little bit of what we see. It's super interesting because I'm curious, you know, and, and Jeff McKay, the way I think about this is, is a lot of the firms that, of course, listen to this podcast, the managing directors and the leaders, they're selling into really large enterprise companies. And I'm, I guess I'm curious, what are they looking for? Are they looking for credentials? Are they looking for expertise, keywords? Because I think to your point, what's interesting, the other thing I've noticed when you go on LinkedIn, and we're getting a little bit in the weeds here, but when you look at more junior people, their profile is often more positioned towards their next opportunity in, in, a, in a career setting. Yeah. You look at more senior people, it's more positioned towards how they're pushing their company forward, their organization forward. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if like the scoring algorithms try to look at that kind of stuff, trying to understand kind of like how the person that's trying to create the meeting is presenting themselves in terms of uh, being a resource. That's well stated. I mean, that's a, it, it goes to the whole scoring of literally the picture than what the your title is, if you will, which is really more about, it's not necessarily what your title is, but it's more about how you can help them achieve what they need to achieve, what their outcomes are mm-hmm. looking for. Then the summaries become more of your own personal story in terms of who you are, what you're about, what your beliefs are, et cetera. And then it rolls on down into those recommendations as part of that. So yes, all of that is a key. And then how many connections do you have, who you're connected to, to, you know, what type of, you know, it's, that whole influencer concept, how might they be able to help us out as well as part of that? So it's all of those items that they're beginning to score as part of that methodology. Okay. So we got in the weeds a little bit, but it was super interesting anyways. But I want to go back up a level here and go back to that notion of planning. So like, let's assume there isn't a meeting booked, right? Let's assume that it's, it's that fuzzy thing on a piece of paper that says, well, we want to do business with IBM. And, you know, we need to build a plan to make that happen. What, you know, can you just give us an idea of what that should look like for a firm? What does a good plan look like when you're going after a key account like that? Do we want to go after a key account, Ms. Jeff McKay, or do we want to talk at a more conceptually at a more macro level? You tell me. I, maybe I went to the wrong direction. I'm going to defer to our guest. Oh, that's even, that's even smarter. Yeah, I, I, I think some of the elements, no matter what the size of the business is, small, medium, top 50, Fortune 500, whatever it might be, those elements are there. So if we think about it like this, it's oftentimes sales. We start with, I've got a product and I got to go push it out to market, whatever it might be. I got to find somebody who likes my product, if you will. Yeah. So it's this little element. Buy my candy know, bars. Yeah, buy my candy. Thank you. For <laughs> Thank you very much. I wasn't going to bring that up again. I mean, you know, it's all good. Thank well, you. Well, it's a great story. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, buy my candy bars, right? I, I wasn't think to your point. We'll just, we'll just roll with that. Thank you for bringing that up. We'll just get, I give it, what the heck? We'll make that analogy. Yeah, roll with it, right? Hey, I've got candy bars. I need to go find somebody to buy my candy bars and just old fashioned, you know, walk in the neighborhood, ride the bike with a basket, whatever that was back in the day. Yeah. I was not thinking about a higher level view, which says, what are these people who are living in this area that I'm looking to go after? What are they looking to do? What are they about? Who are they? What are they interested in, if you will? My point being simple example, go very high level here for a minute. You know, how many of those people like to eat? How many of those people like chocolate bars? How many of those people like chocolate bars with almonds in it, as an example? Extreme example analogy. My point being, understanding that bigger picture of the business that you're calling on. What's that business looking to achieve? So, so at a very high level, 
we need to understand, you know, and you go back IBM. I mean, if you looked at IBM back in the day when I was there, it was very much a product driven business, but then they certainly swung towards services. So if I'm calling on an IBM as an example, what, what's IBM's strategy? Where are they trying to get to as part of that? So we want it back to that preparation and research for the sales team. We want to understand where are they trying to go, whatever business that is, what's their future strategy, their vision, whatever you want to call that as part of that. So that's kind of the first step of really building that plan. Do I understand what this company is about and where they're trying to go? So, and then the second step really kind of takes that down to a notch about, you know, what is the business about? What's the organization like? What's the leadership like? How are they organized? How do they make decisions? What's the organization itself look like? Do they align with whom we are and what we can help them achieve within the organization? And, you know, this is going way back in time, but, you know, IBM, great training. One of the things we did, you'd lay out what the, what the organization chart of an organization was to understand where the influences were, the dynamics. And of course, you'd also always look at, there was always the informal organization chart you had to understand. Even though it may look this way, there's those that were kind of behind the scenes or back channel that you need to understand. But, you know, the next step is really understanding that organization in terms of who they are and and what they're about. So let me, I'll pause there for a minute. I kind of went high level, you know, kind of the first two steps are making sure that we understand if the business is identified, here's the markets we're in. Marketing's identified, here's some, we think these are some good fits for who we are. We then in sales need to understand what that company's about, their vision or their strategy, what who they are, and then take it down to the next level about understanding a little more of the workings of the organization. So I'll pause there for a minute and see if you have any questions there, and then we'll go down to a little bit more specifics, even lower level on some of the pieces of the plan. I say keep going, Jeffrey. All right. Very good. So we take, we take the organization. Then we want to get to who the people are that are involved, right? Who are these people? This goes back to you know a LinkedIn and, and certainly Facebook, Twitter. I mean, all kinds of information that you can find out about who are these individuals we're calling on? What are they about? What's their role? And again, Jason, it's just what you did. That's a perfect example of finding that person, knowing who they are in terms of what their background is, et cetera. And there's always, there's really two dimensions to this as well. It's not only what the business function is, but what do we know about them personally? And yeah. we know, I mean, it's old ahead. As more things change, the more they stay the same. People still buy from people they know, like, and trust. You guys have seen this study, I'm sure, that shows that, you know, 70% of the reason that someone does not buy is because of the salesperson. It's not because of the product or service. It's because of that relationship. And I think one of the misgivings or misinterpretations, I think, of the world we live in today is so many, I hear so many sales teams, sales executives say, well, you know, they're going online to figure out what they want before we call in, which is absolutely the case. We all know that everybody's, it's back today. And I'll switch a little bit here for one second. It used to be buyer beware back in the day, right? A salesperson would come in. If you're a buyer, beware of that salesperson. Now it's seller beware because you're moving into a situation where the buyer, the purchaser, whomever it is, they know a whole lot about what you're selling, much more than they did before. And if you go back in time, you know, I would literally take a big catalog out of IBM products back in the day and we'd kind of look through this big product catalog. That was really what a lot of your work was. That's changed. All that's available and accessible. That point, and let me drive further with with that point being that even though buyers and purchasers have more information than ever before, what's happened is, and you guys, we all know this from going to the grocery, decision fatigue. There's so many choices out there 
that it's, it could just wear you out. So we have an opportunity to help them really minimize decision fatigue and help kind of sort through what they really need to know about all the information they've read and been able to access because there is so much information there. And that's one of the things we can do in a sales role that, that still is there is to help them sort through all of this just cacophony of information, this just down the, the, the big tide that's rolled in with information as part of that. So very important that we not forget that we can help them understand and what they're looking for, what we want to understand, this goes back to what the businesses, as we move down through the stakeholders, understand what they're interested in. We then begin to look at there's always something of they have some type of major challenge or issue or problem, whatever you want to define it as. And that's kind of that third piece of understanding what's happening with what we want to build into the plan. What are the obstacles that the business is facing as part of that to get to that strategy they want to get, go to? And then what are those executives, stakeholders you're calling on? What are they facing and how are they looking to overcome those challenges? And that's where you can bring your you know, solution, service, product in to help them really understand how that fits into what they're looking to achieve as part of that. So I apologize. I kind of went a little bit fast there on some things. I wanted to circle back and, and really emphasize that point about when you're calling on executives, it's not just about the business side. It's also about the personal side. People still, as I mentioned, they want that relationship more than ever, that authenticity. So whether it's, you know, we talk about there's kind of the three P's of how to connect with people. There's certainly places. So this goes back to LinkedIn or Facebook, whatever it might be. You know, maybe you worked at the same place as that person at some point in time, or maybe you lived in the same place at some point in time. So those are two connecting points to make that emotional connection. The second P is around people. <laughs> Do you know people? You have people in common. I mean, we've talked about the relationships we have here between all of us. Whom do you know? And that's what connections do you have? And then the third P is around passions. Do you have maybe some type of interest, commonality, whether whatever that might be, playing golf, sports, riding bikes like Jeff loves to, whatever it might be. So there's think about those three P's when you're connecting. So it's not when we're looking at those executives are calling on, we want to understand what their business role is, but also some personal pieces as well, which then led into that step three. And I kind of jumped around a little bit, led into that step three of really then understanding what are the challenges they're facing, both from a business side and also be some personal challenges they're facing within the organization. So that's kind of step three, if you will, is getting to understand what their challenges you know, a lot of people have heard this old adage of sales, you know, what's keeping you up at night? What are those challenges, issues, problems that they're facing as part of that? So that's kind of the third step of really part of the research that the team wants to be doing ahead of time. And then certainly we know that another, another piece of this, and this is, uh, I think, one of the greatest pieces that in terms of helping a business to understand what their challenges are, is to understand what are the consequences if they're not able to overcome those challenges? So we oftentimes think in sales, hey, if you buy this product from me, life will be great. Or, you know, it's going to solve all your problems, if you will. But the other side of that is if they don't take action, what will occur as a part of that? So we know that with every action and inaction, there are consequences. So we always want to be thinking on kind of the other side of that equation. Well, if, we, if we are able to overcome their challenge, what does it mean? That's certainly an opportunity for us in sales, but also if we're able to demonstrate and able to have them articulate, if they don't take action, if they don't solve the problem, what will occur as a result of that? And that can also 
help to really further accelerate the buy, the purchase of any, any product or service that we have. And then, and then that final piece is with any business, and this goes back really kind of circling all the way back up to the top. There's always economics involved, right? There's, there's key performance indicators, ROI. What type of return on this investment will I get as a part of what somebody is selling me, which is more than likely to tie back to the business strategy. The business has overall key objectives, KPIs, et cetera. Those will filter all the way down through any purchase acquisition, whether it's outright buy, purchase, lease, whatever it is, there's metrics around that. So do we understand and are we able to articulate those, those economic factors or as part of that as well going forward? That's a very high level overview of just those, the key components of a plan. And number one, do I understand the strategy of the business that I'm calling on? Secondly, do I know what the organization's about, what their culture's like, et cetera? Item three is who, what's executive leadership team or the leadership team overall? Do I understand, know who they are? Can I connect with them on a business or personal level? And then do I understand what their challenges along with their consequences are in terms of taking action or not taking action? And then ultimately, how do I measure the results of all of this as part of that going forward? You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. Okay, so Jeff McKay, what percentage of clients that you've interacted with through the years actually you think you could do this? As a prudent pedal over the last mm-hmm. the last decade, yeah, I would like to think all of them. Yeah, I would like to think all of them. But now you got me thinking. As you asked that question, I kind of bifurcated into two groups. And Jeff, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Once I have a lead, you know, someone comes in through a referral or through the website, I'm very diligent at going deep and and understanding that business ahead of the the call. I don't want to waste anybody's time when I get on the phone with them. But to what degree do I do that proactively? I don't think I do enough of that. And I'd love to give Jeff's thoughts on, you know, once you have a lead, you know, everybody's gung-ho, but getting to the lead how do you get there? Yeah. How do you get alignment? What's the expectations of marketing? What is marketing doing right or not doing right to support those five steps that you were just describing, Jeff? Because it, it seems to me, if you're going to move from a reactive sales to a proactive scales, you really have to have alignment you know, from the business strategy through marketing down through the sales strategy and planning. You know, Jeff, knowing you and who you are, you are doing a lot of that. For example, when someone calls you, you just don't say, yeah, here's what I can do for you. Here's my service and here's what it costs and here's what I do for you, right? You're doing some type of kind of methodology or thoughtful process to kind of qualify. You're in essence taking many of those steps I discussed, if you will, as part of aligning with, because you know what your business is and how it fits as part of that. So for example, if we said to you, Jeff, tell me, 
what your ideal client looks like. Let's go high level here for a second. If we looked at this kind of this framework I laid out, you would say, well, I want them to be from a strategic standpoint, I want them to be a growing business. I want them to be growing, if you will. From an organizational standpoint, again, this is high level, this is very simplistic stated, but from an organization, and I'm just making this up for you, but you tell me if I, if I, if I know who you are well enough. From an organizational standpoint, you want them to be integrity, ethical. You want them to be, you know, very solid management team in place as part of that. From so the people you know, the executive leadership team, you would check out who they are. Do you align with them? Common interest, as I mentioned earlier, whatever those might be as part of that. Do they have experience? Are you able to help them? Do you understand what their challenges are? I know you know this. I know you're very good at asking that question. What, what are the challenges? What are they trying looking to achieve? And then certainly, what's the return that they're looking to get? on their investment as part. How will they know success, if you will? Another way to say that as part of that. So my guess is you're doing that in that mode. You probably have your own framework to do that. So I think, let me back up. I believe one of your questions as well was, how do you align that with marketing? I think that there has to be some criteria. And we see this often. I'm sure you've seen this, Jeff, as well, and Jason, that oftentimes, you know, there is such oftentimes such a disconnect between marketing and sales. And, you know, is, is I've seen organizations try to align marketing and sales, and then marketing just throws kind of anything over the transit. And it's really not a qualified lead, not a, it doesn't match the criteria of what the business is looking for as part of that. So it goes back to, and you guys know this, we have to be as granular and as detailed as we can to make it as specific as we can, such that we fence it in, we box it in to say, this is the ideal client. This is what we're looking for as part of that. Of course, you'll have one-offs along the way. There's no doubt about that. But getting everybody on the same page to be able to align properly. Yeah, it strikes me as where my sense is most firms fall down is they're not good at assembling the proactive list. It seems to me it's like that's wherever meets the road where it's like, well, okay, marketing tasks this has this view that, you know, from the firm strategy that we're going after this market with these issues and we're going to go develop campaigns and thought leadership against that. And then sales has this belief that that's going to throw leads into the system that they can go then reactively pursue. Mm-hmm. And it seems to me like where the gap is, is this what you're talking about, Jeff Bishop, which is okay, let's get proactive on a subset of that marketplace and be really thoughtful from on your five steps process, mm-hmm. the organizations that we want to go after. What, what makes the culture that we want, what, the type of cultures where we are successful? And I have one of our clients where they've done a really nice job of this, where they really mm-hmm. understand the archetype cultures. And they'll say, well, we do better in these types of mm-hmm. cultures. Good. And so then that, that, that becomes a litmus test for who yeah. out of the out of, out of the base they're going to go after. And then, you, mm-hmm. and then you work your way down. So it seems to me like my big takeaway, you know, for all listeners is, you know, do you really have a, a strong proactive plan for 20 or 30 key accounts that you want to go after? And if you don't, Jeff Bishop has just given you a roadmap. So <laughs> he just laid it out in five steps, what you need to do. And so go make it happen, right? Like, it's like, just make the list, and work the list. And when I say the list, I don't mean the list of people. I mean a list of potential organizations and then and then work your way through, you know, the ones that make sense and don't. So I found it to be really, really helpful. That five levels I found to be really helpful. Well, thanks, Jason. And I like what you said as well, and, and, and maybe just for all listeners to hear. And, you know, every, every business is different in terms of number of customers, the types of transactions, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, 
you guys know this. It's that daggone Pareto principle, 80-20 rule. Just, it just is out there all the time. Everywhere you turn, the 80-20 yeah. rule applies. And, and what, I'm, what I'm sharing is and, and referencing for those who say, well, we don't want to take the time to do that research and preparation. What we're talking about is doing it on those 20% who will do the 80%. And, and, yeah. and you know who they are as part of that because it's well worth that time and investment to do that type of work. Absolutely. You want to do as much as you can on those others, but it's really that focus on those top accounts that you're looking at top markets whatever it might be yeah it seems to me where you really get leverage is when you get alignment around the ideal client yeah you need to know as jason just alluded to these archetypes where there's cultural alignment i call that simpatico where they Mm -hmm. share a worldview Mm -hmm. and there is this trusted relationship in the way that we do business is the way they do business and if you can get, and it is one of the hardest things to do in a professional services firm that's matrix and has incentives to hit individual numbers or practice numbers and firms want to take whatever they can, can get to hit the number. But when you're not dealing with an ideal client, you're going to run into problems mm-hmm. because there's going to be you know, nickel and diming and, and scope of work changes and your best work isn't going to be appreciated by their people and the sales cycles are going to be longer. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have an ideal client, you're never going to get scale and you're going to be very taxed to get proactive in equipping your salespeople. And, you know, that Jeff and Jason, you guys sparked something for me. I work with a business a few years ago and great, just a solid, you know, all of whom you guys are, just a business owner full of integrity and great. I mean, I learned a lot from him. Uh, It was a family run business, had been in the business for probably a hundred years. He was like third generation. But what he did really well was he says, we don't do this. (laughs) We don't sell that. You know, oftentimes in sales, we say, oh, you know, sell, we'll sell any and everything. You know, if it, if it breeze moves, you know, (laughs) we'll sell it. He was really good at saying, no, we don't do that. That's not what we do. And we're not going to begin to go into that market. We're not going to begin to offer that. And I think that, that was that's a really good good lesson for everybody that says we need to know what we do well, but we also need to know what we absolutely will not do because we can be tempted oftentimes to kind of you know flirt yeah. with things that are not good for our health, if you will, and business health, certainly. Yeah. I always talk a lot about in our business, it's like there's a mission, right? And I don't mean a mission statement. I mean a mission. I mean, every every organization has has a mission that it's on. And anything that is on the path of the mission you want to do and anything that takes you outside of that path, you, you need to really think hard about. Like, man, that's not on the path of the mission. So do we want to do that? Absolutely. Maybe we should think twice and not do that. Yeah. So- Great way to say it. Um, well, we should probably go to wrap here. So so before we wrap, Jeff, I'll give you the final question. So do you have a final question for Mr. Bishop that we have not covered that you think would be really, it's just burning? You got to get out? He usually does. <laughs> usually has like nine and I cut him off. No, 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 no. One. You get one. I, I actually do have several, but. See, there you go. One. 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 What? Do marketing organizations get wrong in supporting people like yourself who are out there selling? If you could give advice to marketers and say, stop doing this and you would make us so much 
more effective as a team together, what would it be? Well, I will be, I'll put my sales hat on, my sales bloodline is to help me help the sales team and a lot of that upfront research that I was mentioning earlier, doing a lot of that because we know the research takes time, that preparation takes time. We know the black hole, rabbit hole, whatever you want to call it, of the internet can get us just way down these paths. We don't need to go down a waste of time. I like to talk about the six-click rule. When I tell people to do research, don't go. If you go beyond six clicks when you're researching the company or the stakeholder, then stop because you may be off into reading about sports or the newest bicycle, whatever it might be. My point being, as, as much information, quality information that they can equip the sales team with to help make that call, that is invaluable. And, and I'm seeing a lot of that happen now where literally I've seen, I'm seeing companies who are literally hiring people to do that research work for the yeah. sales team. So they're equipped to really make the quality sales call, if you will, as part of that. Yeah. And I've, I've actually met a couple firms that are providing that as an outsourced service. So basically, yeah. they're they're doing that on behalf of the sales organization and taking that pressure off. Yeah. And so, great. Well, this was really insightful and practical, which is what I'm really excited about. I feel like I can I set it up at the beginning as like let's let's get practical here about what we can really be doing differently, and it was really helpful. So great. I want to thank you for joining us, absolutely, and sharing your wisdom with us and with our audience. Thank you, Jason. Thank you very much for appreciate having an honor, delight, and pleasure to be with you guys. Thank you, Jeff, for having me as well a lot of fun. Our pleasure. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.